I'm joined this morning by Jim Ritter, founder and CEO of Printed Farms. You may recognize him from some of my most popular videos. He had the first Cobod printer in the United States and is one of the uh, leading members of the 3D printed construction industry. Jim, how are you this morning? Very good. Thank you for that. I was just visiting your recent project, what will be the biggest 3D printed building in the world. Uh, it'll be a horse stables. Uh, it's going pretty well, and it's in the early stages. Did you get the material shipment in? Yesterday, we finally got ma materials. Uh, delays in construction. This has nothing to do with 3D printing. is causing everybody great headaches, but it's well documented. Yeah, delays in construction is a uh, a common tale, I guess, in all in all realms of construction. Uh, things are. I guess it's a lot why a lot of people jump into this industry. Everything is so extended in time and budget in construction. Things rarely meet the estimates. Uh, but with a technology like the one you've been working with, the promise is that it can make things faster, cheaper. Uh, how have you seen it offering those kind of possibilities on the job site? Well, in the future, it's quite possible. I mean, it's going to happen. And um, the problem is everybody's putting faster and cheaper. And we're not a scaled up industry. In fact, we're not even an industry yet. Uh, we're, we're a minute, minute part of a $4 trillion industry. We're pioneering everything. So we, we push more the sustainability and the stronger structures, especially South Florida, if you just followed Ian and we lost 130 people in that storm. So it, this is a real threat that we need better, more sustainable structures. And this is what 3DCP can provide because we're using stronger materials at about the same price of a scaled up industry. So in, in effect, we are better, but it's it, the way people perceive it, they, they, they're looking at, they're comparing apples to oranges. Yeah, and it's a new technology. I mentioned you had the first Cobot printer in the United States. Uh, what was the learning curve like figuring out how to operate the system? Well, we're still in the bottom of the curve. We're still learning a lot. Um, and we're doing that by building. And to get these buildings off the ground through permitting and that, um, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not. Uh, we have a little bit of a thing with these uh, non-residential agricultural buildings in Florida that we can build outside the building code, even though we build better than the current code, our, our buildings are stronger. We still have more leeway to get started. And that's one of the reasons we're doing this project. So we can be doing why other projects are in permitting phases and everything else. Um, and, uh, yeah, every time we get on a job site, every time we run into a real problem, that's why we do real construction, because that's where you find the real problems. You can sit in a in a building or you can make test runs, and we've done this before. Everything is perfect. You get on a real job site and it doesn't work. So we're constantly evolving our building techniques so that we can pass on a turnkey solution to the GCs and everything. Okay, this is what you do when this happens. This is what you do when that happens. And the only way we're going to accomplish that is getting hundreds and thousands of people out there with a machine building. Because it's not one person's going to come up with this magic formula 
and create this way of building with these machines. And every environment, whether you're in the Northeast, the Southeast, or you're in uh, Africa, every environment has a different twist to the same building method because of the environment. Yeah, that's all very true. And uh, it lends to some interesting factors like the regional construction companies. They're not really competing with each other. They have a different set of uh, IP almost in terms of their print process will be different from a group in a different region. I think it's your words are illuminating for a group that might want to enter the space now or just enter the space and expects to get a product out of the box like a MacBook where you just press go and everything works perfectly. Uh, the R&D effort, how have you prepared your team to be best suited to R&D on the field? Well, that's the fun part of it because I obviously I've been on other construction sites with a lot of different subs and people come in and a large numbers of people and it's a whole different environment. We have a, a small group of five to seven guys, depending on the size of the job. Everybody has their specialty or their part, but they're all interconnected. <clears throat> so there's a little more camaraderie. There's a little more, um, I would say, yelling at each other when things go wrong, which is part of construction. Um, but everybody has to have a sense of what the other per person is doing. And everybody's in it in the spirit of, of developing. They understand that we're gonna have some headaches or some down times and everybody's into it. Um, they're great people and every, I get a lot of interest. I have a kid in England doing playing with a 3D printer who wants to come over. I just got somebody out in California for the cement. Um, there's a huge interest. I mean, there's, there's no question. Just from your videos, you know that from, just go online. Um, in this industry and it will grow. It's just this fantasy that you just, like you say, take it out of the box and poof, the whole house appears. I have people who say, oh, I wanna print the kitchen. Well, our material is good for printing walls, but it's not good for printing a kitchen. If you wanna print a kitchen, which is done by some very fine 3D people with different materials or even cement, well, go to them, prefab it, drop it in. Uh, we, we're doing more and more on the site prefabbing as part of the solutions to building buildings. Um, and this is what people have to see. It, it, it's not like the machine just magically cranks it out. The machine is limited in size. You have to move the machine. You have to do this. You have to do that. It's a building process. When you say on site prefab, do you mean printing something out and then moving it, even the, bringing the printer to the job site and printing something somewhere other than its final resting place? Yeah, we did that in Tallahassee. You did that film. Um, mm -hmm. They can refer to that film. I'm sure you have a number to it, but yeah, the front that right was the portion key that sticks out. Yeah, we we printed in a bedroom and brought it out. Um, there was a lot of pushback to do that. That was one of the principal reasons we besides being the first permitted house, we wanted to prove that concept because we knew we needed to build, do that in the future for building. Every build we do, whether it's this build, which has a lot of prefab components or others, it's not just to build the biggest building, it's to, okay, how do we solve this problem? How do we build a large building with a small machine? You know, you're not gonna go out there with a hundred by a hundred machine every day. Sometimes you have limitations on your site, um, space this is another problem you get on site and and this 
the lot is just not large enough for a large machine. You've got to adapt. And this is what we, we, we enjoy and also um, what we're working on all the time, making uh, real-time solutions to real-time problems and then showing the people, hey, here's the, here's the building. These were the problems. These are the costs. We never say, oh, it's cheaper, it's faster, because you can't be faster when you're learning. You can only be faster when you've done it a hundred times. That's like any sport. You practice, you practice, you practice, and you have to practice till you're perfect, till it's mindless. Well, when you're constantly adjusting what you're doing, you're thinking all the time. So you're slower. It's just natural. It just can't be. It, it, I mean, a lot of the um, preconceptions of 3D printing, just they just don't make sense. Yeah, in one sense, it's practice in terms of the operators, the communication on site. In another sense, the research and development is still improving the, whether it be from the material side. I know you've worked with a lot of different material companies over the years and uh, also mixer pump systems. I know that that's been a headache of yours and you're coming up with some clever solutions that the printer itself is fairly competent, I would say, but there were still uh, some tweaks that you were mentioning you'd like on the system. So the, as much as we can practice, you're still developing uh, the best, the best practices in terms of reinforcement, even. Uh, I guess, can you shine a little bit of light of all the effort that you've gone into, into finding some of the best practices in, I guess, let's start with materials. Well, Obviously, we're in South Florida, and one of our biggest problems is heat. And heat accelerates the, um, the, um, the materials in their um, setup time. So we've had some materials set up in hoses. Everybody's had this problem, but it's accelerated. So we literally have put a, a, what we call a chiller on, on the job so that our, our water is about 50 to 60 degrees um, Fahrenheit or about um, 20, uh, 20, 18, 20 centigrade, um, to help so that by the time it goes through the hose system out of the nozzle, it's not hot. Um, material setup times with the material things. One of the things people don't realize is they just assume because the material works one way, um, uh, one day it'll work the same the other way. There is certain degradation problems with the materials because we use super sacks everybody's aware of it they're working on it um there's also the problem that of the plant you you order a certain material and this happens with conventional cements that's why we test on any job site you're testing every truck that comes in and saying all right is this what i ordered and you'd be amazed at on how many sites it's not what you ordered and maybe the variation is small enough that it doesn't matter, or maybe you have to rip it out. And this is a common theme in construction. So the evolution of the materials for the printers, so they're more printable, so they don't, you know, if you have a, a great hydrolyzed, ah, I can't even speak English, but if you get only water on the outside of your mix, but it's not mixed totally, and so you're, you're drying at different times. That's a, one of the problems. You have large cracking issues. So you have to hydrolyze your material homogeneous, get it to the site. So it's what they call it the rheology. So the rheology is working to the best ability so that you can have a homogeneous uh, print. 
And yeah, this is this is a little bit the art, the the material to printing. It's not the machine. It's it's the guy running whatever mixing system you have. And like you said, we're working on some innovations. Um, and obviously, we haven't tested these innovations to make that those problems go away, and so mm -hmm. that's simpler. You, most people don't want our problems. They they want to come in, get the machine, and turn it on and do what you say. But in any construction, anybody who's been in construction, there's always issues. There's always new issues because something comes up that you didn't expect. Um, and, and that's what traditional construction sites. Everywhere. I mean, that's construction. Um, construction is a lot messier than people think, just as uh, orthopedic surgery. I've been there with animals and, and myself. When they put a pin in you, you wouldn't want to be there in that surgery. They take a drill, literally a big-ass drill, and drive those pins into you, and they take big hammers. you glad you're asleep. Um, you know, so people don't really see the construction process. And and, and we're doing this with a new tool, with new materials, and addressing the problems. And, and again, it's not gloom and doom. It's just a process. You don't get to from A to B to C without doing the process. This is my biggest lecture to everybody. It doesn't matter what you think or what the future is, which is what you said. These are robots. They will evolve. We'll have more automation. It's all coming every day. They're doing it faster through the computer, but you still got to bring the people up to speed. You've got to train the operators. You've got to train the slicers. You've got to say, no, this doesn't work. Yeah, that works over here, but it won't work in real life over here. And that's what we're doing in printed farms. We're, we're working with some colleges. We're trying to educate people how it is in real time. And then, of course, utilize their innovations to advance the industry. So the first project I visited of yours was a two garage, uh, agricultural garage for uh, some farm equipment at your horse stables at your house, right? Correct. And uh, I've never had a complaint from the tractors. They love it. Never said a word. So no, that's worked out very well. Um, there's a there's a story there because I'm a little cheap and lazy. Um, we got to the finish of it up to the top and I was going to match the roof systems. If you go there, it's a little cube and all the other buildings have uh, truss roofs and I was going to put a truss roof on to match the systems. Well, I never got there. And COVID, we did this during COVID and we had some issues and we just threw some sealer on this concrete poured roof that we did, which is on our Instagram videos. And I've never had a leak. And the ceiling of the 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 uh, the poured roof to the other, we don't have a membrane. Need a drip edge. We got some, um, you know, marks for, because we don't have a drip edge. But the point is, a lot of what we did there as prototypes worked better than expected, mm -hmm. which seldom ever happens. But we drew it up on paper. That was also a non-residential ag building. We drew up what we wanted to do. We did engineer the tie beam, which is only six inches wide compared to a normal beam of eight inches wide. And uh, it's 34 inches deep, which is, as you know, if you take a board and, and put it up, that's a much stronger surface than if you put the board flat. It's the same concept. So that beam was, you know, the structural engineer and myself, we went around about it and 
I'm just chicken. So that's so overbuilt. It's amazing. Um, we have a lot of rebar in it. Again, we overbuilt it because we didn't know what we were doing. But that was the prototype for the Tallahassee project and honestly for the project we're doing today. Mm -hmm. And so the permitting situation, there was a lawsuit involved with that first house? No, 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 no. For the first garage, uh, the, sorry. No, there was a 1998 law um, when I first came back from Europe to build. Uh, it's a long story, but basically the village went after me and refused to follow the law. And the law was from 1998. It's the Right to Farm Act, which allows us to build outside the building code, non-residential agricultural buildings. Um, the village just wanted to assert control. You see it in modern politics today. We won. So I can go in and build you if you have a are zoned agricultural and you are building an agricultural building under certain um, scenarios, I can go in there and build in 3DCP and I don't have to go through the permitting process. But what we did with the shed is we set up a system that allows you to get through the permitting process. And that worked in Tallahassee. It's working. We're going to do a very large luxury house in Lake Worth. And so far it's been working going through that permitting process. And uh, so, because there's a misunderstanding with code. Code will evolve as buildings are built. You're not gonna come up with a magic formula and get through code. Every building will have its uniqueness and that. So as we build more buildings, why we're pushing people to build is that will push code so that you have that, uh, that answer so that when you go to the city, they can look it up and say, oh, okay, your drawings meet this code and that code was evolved over this period of time. It's again, the process. You're not gonna make code happen in one, two years. It's gonna take five, 10 years to get the code for all these buildings being using 3DCP or, or additive manufacturing uh, systems. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense that you'd see it pop up first in fringe scenarios where you have to go through less processes and then based on the data collected from those situations, taking it into residential areas, highly populated areas. Uh, and we've kind of seen that occurring already. Uh, one of the big things that was unique about your printed garage project is the stucco job you did was one of the first in the industry. Uh, now you've adjusted your wall finish texture substantially. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, we, what we did originally, of course, is our nozzle was a different system. And uh, we've gone from a three quarter inch print to a one as high as a one and a quarter print. Um, we had some issues as we go thicker with the with the uh, um, uh, cracking issues because it doesn't uh, dry uniformly. But what we did is we're dealing with the mortar mix. There's two systems coming out with 3DCP. And one is using concrete and doing your own mix. And one is using the mortar mixes that are pre-made, what we call a dry mix. Dry mix is a more expensive system, but what Printed Farms has done is not made the system of, of printing cheaper and faster. We've taken out different trades in our process as we're printing by putting in the boxes, putting in the conduit, 
putting in insulation, putting in the rough plumbing, you know, your vents and everything as we print um, so that by the time we're done, we call it a closed shell system, we've done three or four trades. So to come back to your question, what we've done is we, we've innovated the nozzle so we have a smoother print. And then from that, we can smooth it by hand. In the future, we would love a robotic arm to do it. Um, and actually, if in the future, if we take a more set up system, let the, let the walls set up a little bit more and use a, a robotic arm, we can literally make the, the, uh, the wall stronger because of the rheology and everything else. Of course, we're not there yet, so we do it by hand. But the other adaption is then all we have to do is a skim coat and we're done. Whereas the, the finished coat that you saw on the shed, that was a, a week process or more with four or five coats, you know, because you got to do your base coat, then you got to do a, another coat and that's got to dry and finish. And then you got to do your finished coat, kind of like drywall. So we've taken two, three steps out of the uh, stucco process. Yeah, the texture that you're left with from the printer is important, not just for the aesthetics, but also the cost. A skim coat uses a lot less material than uh, the garage that you did when it's your first print. The layers aren't all even like they are with the stable. Uh, what was the stucco expense like for that garage? Well, that was 674 square feet, and that's you know, a year and a half ago, or we finished in January of 21. So you're looking at, that was a $10,000 pro prospect, depending on your area and your costs and your labor costs. And this is another thing to keep in mind when we're doing this. We're always taking in different factors to make that print more cost effective. Whether we do the form for the thickened slab on a small print or like the stable, it was so large. So we did a conventional footers. Um, so again, you've got five, seven guys standing around or not standing around working, but when the machine's working perfect, a lot of people are standing around. So you have the ability to be making the walls happen because it is very similar to stucco. We can have almost the same finish as the stucco finish and combining that with say a sand paint mix and some other things, um, you can have a very nice finish, you know, a smooth stucco finish. If you wanted to make it look like shiplap or something and you had to bring in beads and everything, well, at least you have a flat surface to start with so that they can do it. Again, you, you save a couple steps. The other reason we do what we're doing is we take sheetrock and interior walls, we print the interior walls. So now we can come in and plaster, whether it's a curved wall, uh, somebody from Miami sent me a wonderful drawing of a house. They call it the cloud house. Fantastic thing. There isn't a straight line on that in this whole building. Well, if you had to sheetrock that, that would that would cost you a fortune. But we can come in and just plaster. And we've done some tests on some curved walls. Um, I don't know if we posted it on Instagram. And it just, you know, smooths out and you have your finish. And a plaster wall for me is much, much nicer than sheetrock. I am not a sheetrock person. Plus the flooding, you know, if you flood, you can, you know, just, you don't have the problems you have with sheetrock of tearing the whole building out. Yeah, your Instagram is at Printed Farms, if people want to go check that out. And uh, it's 
in Florida, you have an interesting set of parameters you need to be prepared for in terms of hurricanes, potential flooding. Uh, how does this material compare in those circumstances to traditional construction mold? Uh, we're, we're far superior and that's where we push a sustainable building because when you know, as you know, if you take a cross section of a printed wall, it's a homogeneous structure. When you would take block, and people forget this, the mortar mix is a very uh, brittle, uh, soft material. So when you have a flood situation, that material disintegrates. So now your block breaks down structurally to its base uh, self. And if you've ever taken a cement block and dropped it, it just shatters. If you take a section of our walls and drop it, move your feet because it's going to not shatter. And so this is where we're superior to block systems, which we compare are compared to all the time. Obviously, a stick house or a wood house were far more sustainable than those systems. Um, and our material tends to be almost impervious to air movement, which gives us a tighter insulation factor without any insulation, because your R factor is basically the air movement through the building, the transfer of heat and cold. Well, because our walls are almost are so dense and impervious, we have a big mold issue in Florida with block. We don't we haven't seen that yet. Of course, we don't have buildings around for 10 years. We don't have this transfer of heat and cold. We've seen that in the shed. So our R factor is much higher, even without insulation. And then, of course, the water doesn't get in because our 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 material is almost impervious to water intrusion. We're going to do a pool on our next project printed above ground because we can't print underground yet and we're going to use the material to print the pool because it's perfect pool material how do you see your business printed farms evolving over the next couple of years uh, as you continue testing different kinds of projects and then say five years from now or ten years from now when it's achieving more scale i think we'll look like uh, cavemen in five ten years because because of the way the computer works and everything in the solve, you know, Cobode and all these companies can solve these problems so quickly with the computer and, and magnify it. It's kind of like Tesla. Tesla 50, 60 years ago would not have had its, achieved its goals so fast if it wasn't in this technological revolution. And so, um, yeah, you're, we're going to look back at the shed and everything and go, oh, yeah, okay, we'll laugh because the machines will be able to do more. You'll have more uh, auxiliary machines. You'll do it better, faster, and um, hopefully more sustainable buildings. So what you'll see is a, to use the, the electric car model, that's only one, 2% of the car industry today, but you see them everywhere. That's kind of what you're gonna see. Um, as I said to you the other day, what are you gonna do when it doesn't become news to print with a 3D printer? Um, you know, that's what we want. We want people to go, oh, yeah, there's a 3D printer printing a house and go, oh, hum. Um, so that's what I see in the next five to 10 years. It's going to become commonplace. Obviously, there's trade magazines and all the problems will still be evolving, but people will be accepting it and utilizing it more. It's not going to instantly replace block. It's not going to instantly re replace uh, what we call stick houses. There's going to, or, or tunnel form or anything. There's going to be lots of building methods. We're just going to gradually erode 
into the industry. And as the block industry already knows, a lot of people manufacturing it, um, people like Perry who do forms and that, they know that gradually this is going to replace those other systems. Yeah, already I've seen some effective uh, certain 3D printed projects are boring at this point because I've seen so many of them. So it has to be something new like yours is the largest. That's an exciting new development. Uh, and so it's, uh, I'll constantly be chasing whatever's new and whoever's working on the pulling their hair out with R&D and the blood, sweat and tears of innovation and whoever's on the cutting edge, I'll be filming their work. So uh, I look forward to the day where I drive past a construction project and I see a printer that I was totally unaware of. <laughs> but, right. Well, you're going to see that. And there's it's just endless innovation. I mean, just think of the car from 1920 or 1915 and the car today. I mean, we literally sit in a computer. So that as it evolves and as these, you know, the job sites evolve, it's going to get safer. That's one of the things we're working on by pouring with the machine on the top of a floor or the roof. We take people out of that equation that usually are stomping on your rebar that you just laid to the to the inch so that you 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 know, your building is strong. And then you get five guys up there pouring, they're pouring concrete and they're stomping around. Well, what happens to your rebar work? With the machine, we take that out. No one, we've had two deaths in our area this year already in construction. People aren't aware of the dangers of construction. Um, so we're trying by doing that and using the machine, we're making it a safer environment. There's a lot of things that, that 3DCP, these print machines are gonna bring to the job site that isn't spoken about, but is more of an innovation than just cheaper and faster, you know, and safety is a huge part of it. Yeah, you mentioned a couple times the number like five to seven guys in the job site. Uh, bare minimum, let's say you had your top crew and trained them for a while. How many could you get away with operating your system? It all depends on the build. I mean, if you're on a small build, you could probably do three guys. Mm -hmm. um, but on a, a build like what we're doing, with it, when you're laying the ladders and that, one of our innovations is, you know, basically you have the columns that support your beams, that support your roof. We used to do what we called the squiggle. You can see that on our old films, um, copied by a lot of people. Um, Alquist, we showed how to use when they printed their Virginia building. Their people came down, we showed them how we did the shed. Well, that's antiquated. Now we have a whole new system um, that we do. Uh, it's a little proprietary, but we literally have been inventing how to do it on the job site you saw. What you saw, we've already changed. Now we have a whole new way of, of making those columns and we're gonna be doing that in the future because we just did the prototype. So that will make the whole um, process faster because we're not doing every time you do a curve or that you slow down the machine this way we go faster um, so there's a lot of innovations that we're trying to do to make the process faster and one of the things that people don't take into account is the day downtime if you have five rainy days if you have this happen or your materials don't show up you have to catch up for those day downtime because that's the cost in your project you can't not pay your people you can't take the machine down like that and just ship it over for a day or two and then come back. So your down days is your biggest problem with building with such large machinery. 
where you got to put it on site and everything else. And and we have ways in the future, we can do another video. Hopefully when we get our second machine, we're going to show you ways that we mitigate that problem where we can catch up on these day downtimes because you've got to look at the total cost of your, of your development, not just the 3D CP cost. Uh, oftentimes they only quote the cost of the print material. They don't quote all the other concretes that go into the building process, the downtimes, uh, things like that, material, you know, machine breakdowns. Uh, when I started this project, every machine broke except my uh, 3D printer machine. That was running, my lull, my telehandler broke, my generator went down, you name it. So this is typical building. Yeah, what broke the telehandler? Uh, there was some wire, some safety wire that as the machine jiggles, it's a used machine and it, it came off and we're standing there with, can't turn it on. We had to hotwire it. And now we know that, now we can find the wire. I mean, th this is building. And yeah. you know, it's, there is no magic bullet when you start different techniques to building. This is what I'm saying. Everything has to be integrated again, even though you're doing the same process. We still build with vertical loads. We still have foundations. We still have beams. We still, you know, everybody thinks it's a different way of building, but the building methods are the same. We're just integrating new technologies. Yeah, it's great that there's an existing MacGyver mentality in the construction industry of people having to figure out how to make something work uh, on site because then when new things come along that require a lot of that type of thinking, there's people who have the street smarts uh, and wisdom to be able to handle those situations. I guess we just need more of these machines out there so that more people can be figuring out uh, how to get down and dirty with them on the job site instead of everything they learn in the classroom and in a warehouse situation. Uh, you mentioned you're getting your second printer delivered soon. So that's certainly part of scaling up your business. Will you be primarily an operator or will you be, are you a distributor? Will you sell printers in Florida? Well, we want to sell machines and material. That's our main goal. But in order to sell them, we found we had to cre create this, uh, this map or roadway for people to purchase them. Everybody calls us, how much per square foot? You know, what's the return on investment? We have a three-year return on investment, we finally calculated. So only by doing real projects are we enabling people to wanna do what you say. And we call machines boots on the ground. We need boots on the ground. We need people printing. There is no shortcut until you see a thousand machines out there. And that's not a large number of machines uh, it would take 10,000 machines to meet the demands of 125,000 houses a year in Florida. All right, just do the math. And so people don't understand me with one or two machines is just a blip. You know, we need those machines on the ground and they're expensive. And, and it doesn't matter if we had all the answers, which we don't. People still look at new ways of doing it. The construction people that's developers, GCs, they're leery about going that way. They know their, their profit margin and what they do. Why should they leave it? Um, so we have that cultural thing there. I think the biggest problem we have with 3DCP is the cultural thing, not the doing. I think um, Adrian, who works with me, as you've met, 
um, is phenomenal. Talk about the MacGyver. He's the MacGyver of the group, not me so much. He's always, in fact, I have to set him down because he's always changing everything. He's inventing every day. And it's like, no, we can do this the same way twice. Um, but this is what we have to do. This is the goal we have of selling machines in that not only to further the industry, because I'm getting up there in age, I won't see a lot of this. I'm almost 70. I'm cruising closer to 70 than you are to 30. And, you know, I'm honest, you know, 20 years, you know, what are we going to do? But it's going to be it's going to be these next 10 years where you'll see a very large growth, but then it'll slow down. But you're still going to be growing over the next 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And then people will wake up 50 years from now and they'll think this happened forever, that it was always this way, just as you do with a car and I do with a car. We assume it was there forever, but I grew up with people who were born 1890. As you know, my past is with horses and they farmed with the horses. They drove the horses. They, you know, went to war with horses, um, you know, you, and that's within my, you know, my life experience. So this is where we're going. It's a process. It's a fun journey. We need people to buy machines and go to work. And we're there to train up the crews for them, teach them what we know about building. Obviously, they're going to outstrip us over time and, you know, build the industry. Yeah, you mentioned at one point, like for what we know or something, uh, a little bit minimizing your experience. But the truth is that printing in the third building, you're among the most experienced construction printing companies in the world. So there's not, uh, you're in a new area and having to figure a lot of this stuff out. There's nobody with the answers. No. And, but think of a baby walking, that baby might be an Olympic athlete, the world's fastest runner, but still when you, if you take the old films of that runner, you take the Olympic film that you have today and you take the old film, this is where we are. We're taking baby steps. We're stumbling a little bit. We're, you know, we look a little awkward, but it doesn't mean that it's not the way to go. There's a lot of things that we have to do in our society. And I'm a proponent of sustainability, green, electric cars like you have. I have um, a, a gentleman is coming to meet me next week who wants us to 3D print EV stations because EV stations are growing. And and I really, you know, I can't, but I would love to be here in 50 years because I think we're going to have a greener, healthier planet. We are, we're not in a, a period of gloom and doom. We're in, a, in an amazing period of technology and growth that should make humans experience on the planet 10 times better. And that's, that's what I see when I compare it to 1890 and, and the stories I grew up with, how people lived and died and you forget our modern medicines, 1930, they had polio. We had this, you know, penicillin was only 1930. That's not too long ago. So we're in an amazing uh, growth of human experience that I, I find fascinating, fantastic. Yeah, agreed. And for those who don't know uh, your origin story, your old career, uh, you were in the horse industry or initially you were buying horses in your Europe and shipping them to the United States. How long ago was that? Well, I started in 83, um, which is oh, almost 40 years ago now, um, importing horses. I was one of the first doing that, though there were people previous to that. 
Obviously, horses have been imported to America since 1500s because that's what how we got horses back here. Um, but my trade as a young man, I started at 14, um, is I, I'm a blacksmith or a horseshoer, a farrier. And that's a very old profession also. So some of the people I worked with were born 1900 and, you know, the old coal forges, that's evolved. But that's a dying industry um, and everything. So having seen that, how that industry died and how the car industry grew, I'm applying many of those concepts to this industry. And this is what I keep preaching. And I sound like, a, you know, one of those old men you don't want to listen to, but you got to go through the steps. There is no skipping steps in any trade. You have to do each step, learn the trades, learn the intricacies of that trade, you know, whether it's producing the print material out of the silo or whatever, which is what we're doing, like you say about materials and the evolution of it. And uh, yeah, it's there. It's all there, but it, we still have to do the steps. So let's talk about the mixer pump system what are for the existing mixer pump setup uh what are the headaches well first our first headache is for our dry sack system we use uh super sacks and in the high high humidity areas uh like florida and everything um we have a lot of humidity problems attacking the sacks why they sit waiting for being printed and everything else mm -hmm. So obviously we got to evolve to a pneumatic uh, tanker system so that we get rid of these super sacks. It'll, it'll lower costs, it'll, it'll be bulk deliveries and everything else. One of the great things about what we do is we know how much we're going to print a day. We can calculate it on the computer, have that amount per day and, and run it through the system. Uh, I'm, we currently use, uh, like you say, a mixer pump system that was really made for lighter materials, we have a very heavy material. When I use uh, a material that's very high in, in cement content, the, the current mixing systems aren't built for them. We're trying, we're, we've come up with a system that should mitigate that. So we can go not to a cheaper print system uh, material, but a better print material that's higher in cement co content with a higher PSI. Mm -hmm. um, and that would have military applications. We've sold some of it to the military and other applications for, because there's many applications with concrete. It's not just residential housing. And so this delivery systems have to be um, upgraded and, and work for the climate you're in and be simpler and cheaper. And we're, we're working on some innovative ideas, but until they're tested and again, put in process of building real buildings, you can't say that system works. Uh, a lot of people are inventing things and saying, oh yeah, just do this, do that. And as you know, in your experience with those people, it doesn't work because they haven't tested it in real time. So anything that comes through printed farms that we either um, innovate or somebody else innovates, like our machine, we put it through a testing period. One of the things with our machine it's the only machine I know of that sat outside for two and a half years. It never goes inside. It just went through the, the storm part of being, not the hurricane, but the storm part, the tropical storm, and it started up the next day. And, the, you know, it was pushed around. We had some high winds. We had definitely very heavy rains, and she fired right up. 
but then they didn't deliver my material. So, you know. Yeah, it's good on one side, but there's always something that comes up. Yeah. Uh, rains on the parade. So, no, it, it we have the technology. Um, I just want more people to utilize it. Yeah, one thing you alluded to is that you aren't going to be using an off-the-shelf mixer pump system. You'll be developing your own uh, solution. I know you don't want to get into the details of the IP behind that. Uh, yeah, this use... is to mitigate the heat, humidity issues, and the rheology issues we have in printing. Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we use e-cure on our walls, as many people do, to help get a, a better curing process. Um, obviously, if we're there smoothing the, the walls and everything, we're messing up the curing process. We should leave the walls alone a little more. That's another problem. So for every solution, you create a problem. Mm -hmm. And that's part, of, again, that is part of the process of growth. If you, if you solve something and there are no further problems, you've, you're there. And it never works that way. So every time you think you, you solve this problem, now you've created two other problems, whether it's a curing problem or a delivery problem or, or something else. So we feel that we've, we can come up with a system that solves a super sack problem where they're bulky, they're dirty, they're, they're hard to handle, they're dangerous. You're lifting these things up into silos. If that dropped on somebody's head, you're going to kill them. I mean, so everybody agrees with that. So we want to go to tanker systems that are already available um, and, and other common systems. We try to use common construction systems to solve our problem. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel. We're just trying to adapt the systems that are out there so that we can utilize them using this technology. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Most people think of concrete, it gets delivered in a truck. Uh, even though what you're discussing is not a wet mix, uh, it's still inching closer to something people are accustomed to rather than having a whole batch plant um, on-site mixing or just mixing by hand. Uh, so if you had developed the perfect mixing pump solution, would you sell that to only your customers? Would you sell it separately? No, no, no. That, that would be sold again. <clears throat> At the rate people are taking things, I probably would, everybody would steal it and run the other way. You can't, you can't, it's not about, it, it, it's about innovation and brand, but in a $4 trillion market, everybody has their piece. Um, mm -hmm. um, actually, we're moving more. If we ever keep developing, it's all going to be luxury homes, which is opposite what everybody does. But to be honest, as a business model, you have a larger profit margin. You, you can absorb mistakes better. Luxury homes make more sense at this stage than when you go into low-income housing, which is a better solution to many problems and helps everybody. But your margin is so small, you can't afford mistakes. And so from a, as a business model, you know, we shy away from it. But uh, it, it's, um, yeah, if we come up with these systems and we sell them on the market, obviously we're going to have our part of the market, but somebody's going to take that system, adapt it to somewhere else and call it their system. We know that, you know, it's like Tesla isn't the only electric car on the market. He took his patents, he gave it to the, to the market and said here to develop the industry. Why? Because he sells batteries. We're doing many similar things. We, we want to grow the industry because if we don't, we're only shooting ourselves in the foot. 
you know, to hold on to your, your, all your knowledge. And uh, some of the companies want to do this and cloak and dagger and, you know, secret and, oh, you can't see this. It doesn't help the industry. We have to be transparent. We have to show things. We have to protect ourselves to a certain degree on certain issues. Uh, so I'm not going into detail here, but overall, um, if the industry is going to grow, we have to be honest. Okay. Yeah. It, there's a lot of problems, but there's a lot of upside. Buy a machine, go out there. We're getting paid for this project. It's a cost plus project of 20%. We're not going to lose money on this project. So if we can use this model, you can use this model. You can go out there. I can get you clients who pay you cost plus. We can mitigate a lot of the problems so that you don't start in the hole, but you're not going to make a billion dollars in a week, which is too much of the people I meet. They want to, they want to get rich quick, and it's not going to happen. Yeah, I think it's maybe part of the initial allure to 3D printed construction is the idea that you press a button and the machine works for you. Uh, maybe people think of it as some kind of passive income, uh, potentially, when they really don't know what's going on. Uh, I think that was part of what initially got me interested in it. It's just the concept that you print a house and you sit back and drink a Mai Tai and then the house is done and you enjoy your night of sleep. But uh, everyone involved knows it's not quite like that. Uh, it's an interesting uh, concept. It seems your business model will be, if I could sum it up, guiding people towards navigating this new industry. Well, our business model is clear. We want to sell machines. If we sell 10,000 machines, I'll be honest with you, uh, I won't be sad. Uh, there's That's just Florida. I mean, you you got to see the scope of what, I mean, the millions and millions of cubic yards of material that we could sell to the industry. I mean, obviously, we're working with people developing, but we also want the exclusives. We, you know, we're talking to different companies. Hey, I want to sell your material for you. Um, that's printed farms um, base model. But again, printed farms has to build in order to show that it's doable. As you, you alluded already earlier, we're one of the forefronts of building in the industry and we're tiny. So if we're not doing it, who's doing it? Uh, that, that's the scary question. That's what we would. Honestly, I wish there was 50 people out there printing that I could just point to and say, hey, this is how you do it. But you show me the 50 people. It's not 50, but there's, uh, I mean, at least 20 groups out there printing. Uh, yeah. It'll be 50 within a couple of years, I would hope. In a perfect well, we're world. On it. We're working with some groups that they want us to, you know, sell them machines and develop the crews. And obviously, like I said, with the different colleges around, we're trying to set up curriculums and everything. But um, most of the big guys, big players, they're going to wait until it's real cost effective and they can afford to. Yeah. But if anybody wants to get ahead in the industry, and that was our, why we jumped in early, then you should jump in now because otherwise you're not going to get in there when the big companies come in and they will, they'll come in and just say, all right, here we go. Um, so that's kind of the evolution of, of industry. Even when those big companies do jump in, there is still the decentralized nature that we talked about, uh, limiting the ability of one construction company to scale dominantly the way a tech company might, uh, especially not just with the printer being on site, but also with permitting being municipal uh, and 
a lot of those other factors in it in a hundred percent how would the how would the 3d printed construction community provide better network utility every company has their own usually it's like one to three things they really excel at that they want to keep private but for the most part there's a lot of things they're willing to share too so what would be the best way to facilitate a community like that I, I go back to my original model, boots on the grounds, get a machine and print. The, the information will, um, you know, dissimilate or uh, it's too early in the morning. I can't talk this morning. Um, but basically, information gets out mm-hmm. no matter what you do. And, and the only way that information gets out, whether it's for code or anything else, or there's a gentleman with the University of Florida putting together with an NSF grant, if he gets a grant, a database for materials. So that when you have a building project, you go to that database and that you say, oh, I need this print material for this project. I need this print material for that project. Because depending on wall height, wall thickness, beam systems, you're gonna use a lot of different materials. There is no one size fits all. That's just one part of the the equation. And so um, it's just a matter of, there is no magic elixir. You know, you want to learn to ride horses, get on a horse. You can read all the books, but you got to get on the horse. If you want to do 3D CP, you got to get a machine and print. Not in a building, you got to print projects. And they're out there. I get five to six projects across my desk a week. You know, and and most of them are quite doable, but the the people need guidance. Obviously, people, you know, worry about the cost. And in today's environment, we can't give a quote because that's conventional or not, because the prices are changing so fast. So there's for me, the only solution, and that's why we're doing it. We do what we say we do, you know, um, is print. I like that answer. It's not wishy-washy. Some people will say we all have to stand in a line and hold hands and move forward one step at a time. But your your answer is not dependent on other people. It's just uh, get to printing. And if you get it done, then you'll learn and you'll learn from other people and the information will dissimilate or disperse or uh, what, however, the uh, it gets around through the grapevine. And yeah, I really like that answer. People just need to get out there and do it. Yeah, well... Take the shed. When we bought the machine was we ordered our machine December 2019. Well, what happened in the spring? We had COVID-19 and Kobo couldn't come and train us. I had never seen a 3D print machine except in Denmark when I helped them on a project to get a feel for it. Um, None of my crew uh, had ever seen a 3D printer. We knew how to build. Adrian and I knew how to build, but you know, that's what we did. We didn't have, I said, all right, we're going to do this, this, and this. We did it. Not great. We made a lot of mistakes. I could catalog them. And that's how we learned. And by, and ironically, what most people were telling us, because we didn't know, we did 180 degrees the other way just to make it work. And that's how we are in the position of building that we are. We did things different. So I don't want to tell you how to do it in your area. I want you to go out there and do it. And -hmm. if you have a building concept, you're going to innovate more and everything else. Um, As my English teacher said, you know, when I went to university, you know, English 101 isn't over for you because he didn't like the way I utilized the English language. 
But that's how a language grows. He wanted a homogeneous, everybody does it this way, or these companies develop, oh, we're going we're gonna to corner the market on. Th no, that doesn't work. It's what you said. It's a decentralization. At this stage, it's the fun stage. Get out there, print, look at your mistakes, correct your mistakes. Obviously, with Alquist, we didn't say to him, no, I have a developer out of New York said, I want to buy a machine. Okay, if you want to buy a machine, why don't you come down here and see how we do it? Because he wanted to rent one. I can't ship a machine to New York. But all I'm saying is, okay, here, come get on site, see what it is. If you're, you know, we don't, we want people to come see the realities of it. Yeah. And what does your ideal customer look like? Somebody with a lot of money wants to buy a lot of machines. Ready um, for cost plus, or that would be construction. <laughs> no, you're looking to sell machines. I, I think there is no, you know, there's no like um, profile yet of the ideal 3D um, client. When I went to Kobo, and I wasn't a huge company. Uh, Henrik, the head of Kobo, kept saying, oh, you know, where's your money? Where's your money? I said, don't worry about it. And as you know, I was one of the innovators who came in and just got the machines. Um, so it, it's all about the individual. You know, if they can raise the capital, if they don't have it, I'm all for that. If they have the capital and they want to play with it, that I'm all for that. I just see a great reluctance in people today to take risk. You know, mm -hmm. they talk a big story, but they don't do it. Just do it, you know, quit talking, get the machine and print. So initially when you first got the printer, what was the support from Kobod like? Well, they tried, but nobody could travel. We had mm -hmm. to, we put the machine together wrong. We had to figure that out, put it together right. Uh, we had to learn about G-code slicing. That had to be all done, you know, from out of Denmark. Um, what we know today is totally different then. And with Kobo, too, we were, we were the innovator um, with their machine. We put their machine in positions it never been in before. Left it outside, humidity, wet. So they had to adapt their machines. Their machine today is not the machine we bought you know, not just because of what they innovated, but also we told them, hey, this is what you need for a building machine. A building machine has to be very robust and everything. So, um, yeah, we we pioneered a lot of stuff just because of the conditions. It wasn't Kobo's fault. Just COVID shut everything down, as you know, and people couldn't interact with, except by, you know, Zoom and stuff like that. Yeah, and so when you are able to sell printers. Is there a plan for the type of support that you'll be including with the contract or is there an option for extended support? Yeah, I mean, of course, we, we when somebody comes to buy from us, we say we'll help train their crews and our training program is is adapted now because we have enough business that their crews will train on the job training. We don't do it in a in a in a classroom. They come on the job, they're on the job, and we'd show them the whole thing. And that's how we want to train the students and everything. Yes, there's some classroom work and, and that, but basically it's, hey, this is the reality of it. This is real time, you know, go from there. So we train the crews using real projects and we have between the two projects, we have booked now probably eight months of printing. Mm -hmm. 
And then um, obviously we help them with the machine and say, don't do this, don't do that, because we already did it and it's wrong. But there's still this process when they get the machine where they got to go through these steps. And, um, you know, and everybody does. You're just not going to get a machine and it's going to be perfect day one. Yeah. As the market's shifting and we see some PE compression, do you think we'll see an increase in mergers and acquisitions in 3D printed construction? Oh, that's beyond my knowledge. I, that's way out of my league. I have no clue. Um, I'm sure, obviously, like any industry growth, as people come together, you're going to have different people um, using different skills. And obviously, if it's cost effective or there's a profit to be made, all those things are going to happen. But again, you're way, way ahead of where we are. Um, again, out of the 125,000 houses that were built in Florida last year, we finished the shed and printed the walls of one house. That is not an industry, you know. Um, and if we have 20 people out there in the U.S. printing, that is not an industry. We need thousands of people printing and, and learning and, and innovating and materials. And I mean, it's for me, it, it's such an opportunity for young people to to build their career for their life because it is a career. It, you're not going to do it in a day. You're going to get in at your age and you're going to look back how I do when I look back 40, 50 years, I mean, gas in Colorado in 72, 50 years ago was 25 cents a gallon. You know, I remember that, you know, and that's ancient history, you know, for you, it's inconceivable. I don't know, you know, so, um, yeah, so it, it's going to go by very fast, but it, it's going to grow and you can be part of the future, the way the future goes. This idea that you can, turn things back or keep it the same is one of the things that I don't understand with people. You can never keep anything the same. Everything is evolving and you have to look to where it's evolving. You know, if you were in a car plan in the fifties and you wanted just people on the assembly line, well, you were screwed. It's robots today. And that's what's going to happen with the building industry, whether you want it or not, whether I do it or somebody else does it, it's going to evolve. And it's a huge opportunity. Yeah, I think young people see that and it makes it almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because they're not drawn to the traditional construction labor jobs. But as you've seen, there's no shortage of applicants for a 3D printed construction job site. Yeah, it's well, they don't understand. A lot of people, like you said, have a vision that they're just going to, like you do, sip coffee and, and not work. It's heavy work. It's hard work. Yeah, sweaty. Um, you know, if you're a slicer and doing G-codes in your in your office or your apartment or wherever you're doing it, okay, that's a different job. Um, but if you're on a, a, a print operator on the job, you're sitting out in the sun, you're following every print. That's one thing that they have to do. You're, you're constantly adjusting the extrusion as if the print material doesn't come through at the same ratio mix. Um, so it's a long day and you're setting up the machine, you're doing your dry runs, you're calibrating, you're cleaning up. That's what our operator does. They, they're not just sitting there, you know, with an umbrella and, uh, you know, just pressing a button. It doesn't Number work that we'll way. We'll post pictures of uh, guys just sitting around eating Doritos. So the print's going well. 
Yeah, I mean, you can do that uh, for a minute and then you turn around. The minute you get into that, and we've had this happen a lot, we're all standing around smiling and then you hear this scream and the print material goes to hell and everything goes wrong. You you got to be on your toes 24-7. And, uh, so, yeah, have you noticed uh, a decrease in those events that require you on your toes? Yes. Uh, obviously, as we get better and better and we do more and more projects and the crew gets trained um, better, Obviously, they're, they're less, but you have other problems or other issues, uh, whether they mix. We, we once had a, a mix come to us that wasn't, they admitted, they didn't blend it right. And you put it in the hopper, you start printing, and it was a disaster. And you got to tear it all apart. I mean, so, you know, it is construction. But again, when you look at the opportunities, um, again, the guy from New York, a young man in a family business, he wants to go this route. Um, yeah, if he can convince the rest of the older people like me to go that route, um, I think he, they will. Um, so I, I see logarithmic growth in the industry over the next five to 10 years. I, I think, um, you know, it's quite conceivable that you will have forgotten about, you know, in 10, 15 years printed farms and what we did. And you'll be dealing with some other person who came up with. Uh, my my vision is a drone that comes in and prints. I mean, I I don't know how it would be done because of the weights and everything, but somebody's going to come up with that. I mean, there's going to be innovations that make us look prehistoric. Yeah, um, I filmed some guys called Terran Robotics in Idaho that had or Indiana. They had a drone. They wanted to drop Adobe mud blocks to build a house for Habitat for Humanity. They started picking some stuff up. Uh, it's tough, but there's certainly groups working on almost exactly what you described. Yeah, I mean, it, it's because of some of the problems I know, um, there's, there's a lot of innovations that are going to happen. And, and again, building is not constant. Depending on what you're building, you're going to have to have different machines. Um, and I know uh, Putzmeister is working on a machine that has innovations that could be fantastic, but they haven't perfected it yet. And... Um, so yeah, it, it's it's exciting. I mean, I I don't, I don't know what are you gonna do. You know, if you're into this kind of stuff, um, you know, if you want to go ride horses or whatever or surf, go do that. But if you're into this stuff, it, it's an exciting time and a great time to get a machine, innovate, and develop your niche in the industry. You're not gonna go broke. I mean. What we do, one thing Printed Farms does when we sell a machine, we have a document that we sign that will resell your machine if you want to get out. We wow. need machines. So, I mean, right now we're starving for machines. So if I can get anyone to buy a machine and they want to get out, we're ha we can't say what we can sell it for. That market's not established. But I got a call from California the other day to buy a machine because – their machine got stuck on the ocean for five months in the Panama Canal. I mean, uh, the horror stories come out. I believe. Yeah. So <clears throat> I, I think the resale market's going to grow, the lease market. Uh, yeah, it's just huge different avenues for people to be in design, architecture, slicing, um, uh, engineering for 3D printing, the actual building, which is what we normally talk about. That's our part. You know, the crew set up, uh, you name it, um, huge opportunities.
Yeah, I mean, those are all different skills that need to be taught to a whole new army of people so that they can tackle the new uh, type of construction, different types of construction. I think a lot of those things will pull over to other technologies and may work with the drones or whatever the next uh, technology is. Just having more robotics on the job site, I think, prepares groups more for the future and however things will develop, as unpredictable as that may be. Where if you had a thousand machines out there, you would have a service group with those machines from repairs and everything of about a hundred thousand people. And they'd be available twenty four seven. You could get yeah, someone because out. you just think of all the all people involved in all the parts, all the services, the manufacturing of the machines, the shipping of the machines, the actual work on jobs, a thousand times six, you know. That's not an outrageous number. Maybe 100 is a little high, but at least 60,000, you know, for 1,000. Because you've got all these services. You've got the guys mixing in the plants. You've got this. It's not, you know, everybody goes, the growth of the industry, they only see the printer and the machine. Yeah. But we have all these things we need to make it work. And, and, you know... uh, I call them the, the print gurus, all the guys that are, are inventing these materials and tweaking them every day. I, I talk to them a lot. Um, it's just this constant thing. It's a huge change from, you know, forming and pouring. And, and you've seen the evolution in the brief time we've both been in it. And I would say it's logarithmic. Yeah, I mean, just to paint the picture of some of the support equipment, You've got the generator, the chiller, the mixer pump, a telehandler, and that's basically bare minimum to support the printer. But nobody's going to click on a video I title with any of those four things. <laughs> no, but that's that's the reality of it. And we're a small group. Um, we're probably a small, smallest company in the industry, um, at least in manpower. We, all, we started with three guys building. And we wanted to do that to prove proof of concept what we found is we need five to seven guys depending on the build but you're right there's so many different things and and those auxiliary machinery which we sell also silos and everything else um is huge you know to to what delivers the product and again that requires x number of people so um we are gonna hopefully people get paid better because the you know, they're, they're a little different price structure um, through this industry, better quality of life. You don't go home so tired you can't, you know, eat your dinner. Like you said, there is a lot less physical labor because of the robotic size of the building industry. So, yeah, whether you want to become a truck driver that delivers material, I mean, some of these jobs already exist, but they're going to evolve to our industry. And they're going to exist because they evolve to our industry. Yeah, certainly. The uh, if people are looking to invest, is that an opportunity available? Yeah, people want to invest in everything, but you have to have a product to invest in. And Printed Farms has talked to different people, and people said, "Oh, you know, I want to invest." But we had to do these steps, and you have to do different steps um, so that. There's there's um, many different kind of investors. Most investors want your company about ready to grow big, 
you know, that way they get in early, you know, they get in at a time where it's very quickly the company, you know, goes on the market, stock market or whatever. And everybody, you know, you see it on the news all the time. They make a lot of money. We're, we're more of a growth investment. Um, and whether it's a company investment or that, because our growth is going to take some time for return. And so that's a different kind of investor, somebody who's looking more long term. But if they're looking for the company to go all, you know, um, on the stock market tomorrow and exponential growth, you saw it with the cannabis companies. They went on the market, people invested a huge amount of money, and then the stock dropped. Um, you know, so we're, our industry is still growing. There's a lot of room for investment, but they've got to be knowledgeable investors who understand that we're going through this process and their return's going to come down the road. And as I said before, most of the people who come through to us think they're going to, you know, get rich quick. They're going to, you know, jump these steps, which you can't jump. And again, that comes back to my formula. Put a thousand machines out there. Those steps are done quicker. We can go to that next step. Yeah, absolutely. The scale, a lot of good things, I guess, obviously will come with the scale. Um, it's an exciting time for the industry to be past some of the early first steps. A lot of people have heard about it. What's the sentiment been like from the, you've had some government officials visiting your projects. Have they, has that been a productive thing? Are they willing to implement rules to make this technology more uh, applicable or more viable? Everybody is very uh, interested in the technology. Um, after Ian, I literally got some calls from the state of Florida, um, different departments. Um, everybody's super interested, but it, you, what you have to know about the public sector or the universities or any .org, they're very slow. I, I'm a proponent of, of developing the industry through the private sector because there is a profit here and it is viable and it is the future. Um, so you don't, where you can go that way and I, I'm all for it and I, we discuss with it. I'm not waiting for those people to go through their channels, go through the steps, you know, go to NSF. A lot of people go to NSF and they're waiting for their grant. They're waiting for this. And um, we moved, Printed Farms is doing most of its innovation through the private sector, like this third party who hired us to do this project. And then we have this big project to do a luxury home on the intercoastal. That's an in-house project, but it's bank financed. It's all, you know, permitted, everything else. So I find the private sector is, is more innovative, faster, and the way to go. That's my, that's where I concentrate. I, yeah, I, I don't go I after grants or anything. And so if somebody wants to get involved, what do they need to know? Do they need a college degree? What, kind, what do they, what does someone need to 3D print concrete? Um, I went to university, but I didn't finish my things. Uh, I went to Dartmouth five years for medicine and I walked, uh, and rode horses, uh, a person with a high school degree, but an understanding of CAD could operate the machine. A person who has, you know, again, a high school or college background with construction could do what I did get a machine and develop. It's more about your construction knowledge than your machine knowledge. Mm -hmm. um, 
Obviously, if you have both is ideal. But this idea that you have to be a rocket scientist to solve these problems, no, they're common, normal problems. You just have to be adaptive. And so you don't, you know, your education, that's the beauty of today. You know, universities and everything were set up because they had libraries and the knowledge was in the library. Well, we don't need libraries today because then I have a question, I Google it. So you have so much information out there to solve your problems that even 40 years ago we didn't have with the way this information age. And that's why it's logarithmic in the growth of any, any industry because we have the access to so much knowledge if we want to access it. So, uh, you know, universities are evolving now. You do them online. Um, you don't need to go to the library and sit there. My mother was a librarian. So. Um, but, you know, we have, we have libraries. We're, we're talking on a library. One of the largest libraries in the world is sitting in front of me. And we just have to access that information. And some people will find it through a Google search. Yeah, whatever. You know, I mean, your videos are information that the average person would never have seen 40 years ago. How would you have gotten it out? Now we go to YouTube, we go to your channel, and we see real time all these prints, all this, that, you know. Um, yeah, you do, again, it comes back to get a machine. The problem is cost. People coming up with that kind of money, these machines are expensive. But if you can put the money together, and I may say this, in the scope of things, it's not that big of money. I know it's to some people, obviously, it sounds like a large number. But when you put it in the scope of, uh, of the building industry, more money is wasted on buying the wrong piece of property than on the wrong machine. I see it all the time. You buy the wrong piece of property, you can lose more money doing that than by buying a machine that you put in a container and it's not costing you money. But they don't see it. That's the cultural aspect of it that I don't understand. Yeah, my education question was a bit of a loaded question. I mean, some of the biggest contributors to the industry, even the people developing the printers themselves, uh, working on the really hardcore engineering, they didn't even go to university or have any kind of degree. So uh, I've seen people from all walks of life getting involved and putting in their two cents. And a lot of times it's the labor with construction experience who started doing construction at 18 uh, right out of high school who has some of the best ideas to improve the print or improve the processes on site. hundred percent. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tip my hat to Adrian. He's a huge part of our, of our growth. Um, he's been with me doing other projects, conventional talk about a sheetrock ace. Adrian can do sheetrock. Like it's perfect. I mean, he is why I hired him in the first place. He does amazing work. But he's so into this technology and inventing so much. I literally told you, I have to put a lid on it. Adrian, we got to do it three or four times before we change. We can't adapt so much. But yeah, it, it's, it's more about your drive and your desire to get into the industry with these tools. You know, um, again, you can do it the other way or you can do it this way. There, there is no right or wrong. It's just about getting the job done. So at this stage, what does printed farms need the most to grow? Machines. We have the orders. We, we need people and machines. I, I, I should say that I'm, I'm trying to develop systems. Um, 
right now because we have a new machine. I'm developing a new print operator and he has, he's had his own 3d business for 10 years, but when it comes to construction, he's, he's not up to speed. So, Mm -hmm. and how to utilize it. So to get these people to understand the building process so that they can, you know, run the machines and slice and that. Um, and of course the people to run machines like the, the pump mixer systems is not common in America. You know, we don't use them for stucco as much. There's only one person who sells what well, we use the m in America. So, uh, that that's what we need. We need machines on the ground. We need to educate people and it will grow itself. That That's what you, I, I'm trying to say is we're not going to make it grow. It's going to grow itself by people doing. There is no shortcut. You, you're going to, you know, you're going to get a machine. You're going to get a crew. You're going to print and talk to me in two years. Uh, if it was a young horse, I would tell you the same thing. You know, you got to go through the process. You can't take a young horse and make them a finished horse. How, however you wish it, however you push it, it becomes detrimental to the process. The less you push, the more you just go with the flow. It's a little zen. Live in the moment. Live in the day. Take it day by day. You're not going to, you know, you have these dreams, fine. Put them on the shelf and deal with the daily thing. And then you'll wake up in a year or two years like we have and go, wow, look, look what's happening. So yeah. it, it's a daily process. It's, it's more of a, like you said earlier, it's an individual thing. You've got to have that kind of person who can deal with it. Definitely. And you worked at some point with a company called Sinterform. Are you still working with them? Not right at the moment. We had some disagreements on some IP property. um, And obviously I got to protect the interests of printed farms. That's what we do, but they're a very good company. They're very adapt. Um, They will go out and print, you know, they might even rent a machine from us, but on this project, um, you know, it was more contractual. Um, but no, Cineform's a very, very good group. He's very, um, he's been at this for a while. He, he, he's, um, he, he eats, breathes 3D printing. And, uh, but that's an example of someone with some knowledge, but no money. You know, and if he can get the investors behind him, he can go out and build. And I hope, you know, I wish him the best of luck. Yeah, it's a tough time right now to be raising money, uh, but it's an industry that people are looking to invest in uh, construction technology. And I mean, I think people are getting sick of software. There have been so many promises of software only solutions that are going to revolutionize construction. But unless you're changing the way you build, uh, you're really just adding more complexity from my perspective it goes hand in hand you there's stuff when the people look at the software we're using with that we have to adapt uh lift time is one you know the lift time is too slow well then the concrete sets up so it it's not one thing software's got to adapt everything's got to adapt everybody's got to um you know grow and it, it just comes down to that simple formula of doing um we don't print the same way today that we did two years ago. We won't print the same way in two years that we do today. It's just going to evolve. But again, if you try to look too far ahead um, and you keep coming back to investors, what 
people don't understand about investing is it's not free money. It's a loan. They're loaning you the money to give them back a return. You're not paying interest, but you've got to give them a return. When you look at it like that, you've got to be darn sure you're going to return that money. Okay, things go wrong in industry or business and people lose money in investing all the time. But that's not the way you should treat an investor. You, you've got to make sure that when he invests, that you can deliver the product that you're saying. There's too many people out there just trying to take money, I don't know, for whatever advantage, and that's wrong. So re look at it as like a loan, whether it's from the bank. Okay, the bank comes and repossesses everything. But the investor, he's trusting your word. If we want to grow this industry, make sure the investor understands that, okay, these are the terms. This is what you're going to get back. This is where we're going. And that they, they knowledgeably say, okay, yeah, I'm all in because I think it's going to get there. Um, and that's good. And when you don't know what you're doing, it's harder to tell the investor, oh, yeah, this is where we are because we, we don't, we're still doing a lot of innovative things to, to get to that step. You ask about us. We're not really printed farms even at the seed level for an investor because we haven't established enough things in the industry to say, oh, yeah, okay. And I know there's a lot of 3D companies that have raised hundreds of millions of dollars, but it's just not the way we do it. We look at the investor as a huge part of the family, and we're not looking to take their money and run. Yeah, in an industry filled with a lot of snake oil salesmen, it's refreshing to hear your, uh, I guess, honest perspective and not putting too much icing on the cake. And uh, you did a great job telling it how it is. It's an exciting industry with lots of future potential. There's still a lot of work to be done, and it's not a get-rich-quick scheme by any means. Just one day at a time, get up, go to your machine, print your building, Take it down, take it to the next job. And that's what we offer people who buy machines. I literally say, I will feed you the jobs in the state of Florida. We have, like I said, five a week, you know, and, and we're trying to get those people up to speed. I'd have people out of New York City who are going to build in Miami. I just gave them an architect. Um, you know, so we're working on developing these jobs. We just need people who, who have the knowledge. I gave Centerform Design, as you brought up. I've probably given him 10 jobs. He has those jobs. He's just got to develop them. These jobs take sometimes a year to two years to develop. My own project on the intercoastal is two years in the work. You, you just can't, unless the people have done all the permitting and all the drawings and, and developed everything, um, FEMA, you name it, they got to go through all these steps before we can build. And most people that contact us have only heard Oh, you'll just come down, like you said, and instantly produce a house. They don't even know the process. So developing is, it takes time. Many times a developer will own a, pro, a piece of land five, six years before he develops it. That's why developers are very good to work with, because they understand the process. They can bring it up so we can come in and print. So we, we, we encourage developers to come talk with us and stuff. They have the patience. They also have the capital. So that's that's a great group. Um, you don't really need to have 50 million investors and do it internally if you can just have people who are willing to, you know, say, OK, I'll do five houses or I'll do this and do the cost plus basis. So that's that's the route we're taking. We're giving these jobs. We're trying to get these jobs developed 
and see how many houses we can build over the next four or five years. Awesome. I like that goal. Uh, and seems like a pretty good place for us to finish the interview. I really appreciate you taking the time to discuss all these things with me. I mean, you're really pushing the boundaries of construction technology. And uh, as you alluded to, uh, I think it's really significant that you're willing to lend your knowledge to the library of information on the internet. So people can now hear about the work you've done on, uh, on my podcast and YouTube channel. And they can uh, get a little taste of your experience uh, in this rapidly evolving industry. And you mentioned 50 years from now, I don't think anyone will forget about it because it'll, it's a part of the journey of how construction is automated and 50 years from now, it'll be a totally different technology. And this is a stepping stone of how we get to that uh, place. So I'm hoping that people will look back on the library and uh, check out a video every once in a while of how they got to where they are. Hopefully we'll see, but thanks again for taking the time to speak with me today. And I'm looking forward to stopping by your construction project again soon. Well, you're always welcome and thank you very much. And you've done a lot for the industry, just traveling. I, I hate travel. So you're doing a great service by traveling everywhere and doing these films. Um, it's fantastic. So thanks again. All right. I'll keep doing my job. You keep your doing your job and we'll see where, uh, where it takes us in the next. Okay. And I'm all for a drink anytime that, that part I can do. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> all right. I